Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, we're back for our second episode with Wands. We've had some technical difficulties, none of that you care about. But in our first episode, if you haven't listened to it, you need to go back and listen to it. Because we're all about about those stats. Um, Just kidding. So we talked about Lakes High School. We talked about Central Washington University. We talked about the Central Connection Band. We talked about Mount St. Helens. We -hmm. talked about suspicions and impacts. Mm -hmm. But we left out something. What? We left out the Jeremiah was a bullfrog story. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, imagine, if you will, third grade, third grade, uh, they used to have what's called portables outside of uh, uh, the main school, you know, and uh, third grade, I was in a portable classroom with a teacher named Mrs. Eaton. And she was phenomenal. She was great. But the class itself was kind of horrible because I was a small and scrawny lad, very small, very scrawny, and uh, I had a hair trigger temper. So it was really easy to get me going. And my mom's best friend's son loved to tease me, always got me going. I got in so much trouble because of that kid. So, you know, springtime comes and we're looking forward to, you know, the end of school. And I discovered that I actually could play kickball because I could kick the ball okay, but I could run really fast. So uh, kids started to, you know, there were more opportunities to play different things that I didn't have to engage with that guy, right? It was just trying to keep myself level in classrooms. And uh, once again, it was found out that, yeah, you know, I could sing and people liked that I could sing. And, and it came to be like the last week of school. And it was like, you should sing. You should be in the talent contest. You should be yeah, the, the assembly on the last day of school. You should be in the talent contest. And so I said, OK, and I signed up for it. And then what I remember is the very last day of school, we had like um, about an hour's worth of class. And then everybody went in the auditorium and and the performers were supposed to be in a different place. And I was in that different place. And like two or three people or say the first graders went and the second graders went. And then I was a third grader. And when I went up there, it was like completely quiet. And in, in the Lake Louise elementary school auditorium and out of nowhere, I just started singing. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. Never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. And everybody, you know, that song's called Joy to the World, actually, right? So it's like, every joy to the world. Got the, you know, it was great. Um, got a big round of applause when I was done. And that one thing has followed me around for ever since. There are a long, a long time now. Yeah, there's there's probably like seven or eight people that are in my Facebook group that that went to Lake Louise that are still around, and they they every single one of them remembers it. They never they don't forget it, and they remind me of it. So I I figured I was like destined, you know, and, and from that time on, it was like I heard it a lot. You know, you're a really good singer. You should you should you should do that a lot more. You know, you'll probably be famous. You're really really good. You'll be famous, and I believed them all through elementary school, all through junior high school, all through high school. College was a little bit more shaky, but um, by the time I got to, to Central, I knew that I liked to show off. And the one thing that I, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't as fast anymore, but I knew that I could sing. We didn't and, have intramural kickball at Central, oh, did we? Yeah, thank God. I don't think that would have worked very well. <laughs> Not with that kind of wind. No way. (laughs) All right. So thank you for going backwards. Now we can go forwards. Okay. When we left off last week, we were talking about impacts. Yep. OMAC. Yep. Your friend Chief. 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 So what was next? Well, impacts was, is impacts was like a, uh, you know, it's like a bar band and a bar band in the sense of 
they played covers that people liked, but people who were maybe in their 30s to 40s liked, right? And, you know, it was, it was okay. I mean, it was okay. Uh, we started not getting booked as much because blues was starting to kick in. And so there were a couple of blues bands in town and they were getting the work that we should get. And um, I started hanging out at this bar that was just outside of town in a big barn structure called Quonset hut called the ranch. And they had music out there. And I somehow, I can't remember how I met Bob Wynn, but, Bob Wynn was the owner and, and he and I talked about music a lot and we were both from Tacoma. So we had this, you know, this connection and stuff. And he said, you know, you should put together. Well, actually we, impacts actually played out there in front of a band from Tacoma, I think, or maybe it was one from Yakima. I can't remember. But after that, I do remember that we had a dis- we sat down and had a discussion at the Galaxy Room of the Highway Grill. Oh my gosh! That's right. Okay. And the Highway that was his favorite spot. And the Highway Grill. It, now there's a Taco Time on it or a Taco Bell. That's where you run for the border in Ellensburg. Mm-hmm. There used to be this great old school diner called the Highway Grill, and they had their bar was called the Galaxy Room. Had no windows. And, you know, it was like a weird, almost, almost, uh, it was almost a black light, blue light that was in there all the time, but they had all this paraphernalia on the walls that had to do with stars and whatever. And, you know, it was creepy, but it was really cool. Had its own personality. And and I'm hearing from Bob, you know, Mike, you should, you should put together a band. I know this guy and, um, he knew the drummer from impacts. And so uh, we got together with Ken and this one guy was Jay Stevens. And I can't remember how, you know, I don't, it's weird how we all came together, but we all, you know, and then Jay or no, no, Ken had a friend from high school who played guitar and his name was Joe. And Joe and Ken and a couple of other friends of the band knew another guy named Tim and one more guy named Mike Stoll. And Tim could kind of play guitar, but he played keyboards. And Mike Stoll was he he could sing higher than I could. So he was like a he was like a lead singer kind of guy. And you know, he was kind of like Bono, but um he just was like younger and skinnier. Um so anyway, we all, so there's me, Ken Brooks, Joe Kingston, Tim Haley, Mike Stoll. And we decided on a name, Slow Children at Play. <laughs> we wanted to call ourselves Free Beer, but yeah, that for some reason we, we bet against it. So Slow Children at Play was learning. We learned some, you know, we learned some U2. The, the, the popular songs of the day was like U2, Billy Idol, um uh Jay was really into squeeze and Joe uh we guys yeah. played in excess. Yeah, played in excess. And did you play Angel City in that did you do Marseille in that band? Yeah, we did. We did no, we didn't do Marseille, but we did Longline, which to this day is like the stuff of legend. Yes. Like no one does Longline anymore, and I still remember it. Um um but yeah, Blue Highway by by Billy Idol. It's like we did the B side hits that should have been hits that were never really hits. But you knew, you but knew. Them. Yeah, people yeah. knew the songs, but everybody, you know, every band was playing, you know, White Wedding. Every band was playing Rebel Yell. Every band was playing. Uh, the, there was this new band out called The Romantics, <laughs> and they had a song called "What I Like About You," and that was the close. Everybody played that song. But uh, it was really interesting. We did some fix and, you know, it was just this weird kind of thing that was fighting between like Americana, straight ahead rock and the British invasion type stuff. Right, but anyway, right. um, 
we went over pretty well. And so Bob said that we, you know, we needed to do this more often. And, and so that went from 80, the end of 83 into 80, no, the end of, yeah, the beginning of 84. And because I remember we had rehearsals in the ranch in uh, going into, going into 84 and we would rehearse there and, and the, it was cold. It was just like freezing. <laughs> you could see your breath and we're trying to practice. Jay reminds me of this all the damn time. I remember being in the ranch and it was, it was so cold and the strings were cutting his fingers and, you know, we had to quit because his hands got cut up. Um, but we got pretty good and started writing some originals. And by the springtime, um, Mike got really sick and it turned out he had lung cancer. And, um, yeah, he, en he ended up passing away. Tim turned into a giant asshole, kicked him out and it became, the band became boys will be boys. Cause we were always like screwing around. I mean, Jay, Jay and Ken and I got along famously. Joe had a girlfriend. Actually he was married and then was getting divorced and it was like getting kind of weird. It was just really weird. Cause his girlfriend, he and he and his he and his wife Robin were both hairstylists. So they, you know, they'd gone through uh school together and, you know, had tried to make a go of it and stuff. And hanging out at the ranch, there was just there was so much uh it was I will call it weirdness because there was alcohol and there were drugs involved and we put alcohol and drugs and music into a business you get drama <laughs> recipe for disaster it was drama every weekend every weekend there was some sort of drama oh god this is about the time that art uh Art came up and helped Bob run. Art was Bob's brother. And Art was like the guy who, he's the guy who tries really hard to be intellectual, but really doesn't have the brains to be intellectual. He keeps trying to prove to you how smart he is. Mm -hmm. It was annoying. So he and I would always get into these jousts about public affairs and this, that, and the other. And he, it would always end badly for him because I had a bad habit of, you know, of insulting him and him not realizing that I ins <laughs> insulted him. But anyway, musically, it was great because Boys Will Be Boys was, was, was a hit. And so when bands like the Cowboys, uh, Stripes from Tacoma, um, the really the number one band from from Yakima. Anytime those guys would come up, we'd open for them. That was the Shreds, right? Yeah, the Shreds. That's it. And then um, your favorite band at the time, the Blue Baboons from Tacoma. Shout out to Pat Boyle. Shout out to Pat Boyle. Bingo long. Yeah, all those guys. Um, yeah, that was like I I made the decision in 84 that, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I had, I, my, my, my college music career was cruising along quite well, but once again, the weird pattern of having great male choir directors and then getting a female one that had repeated itself now for the second time, three times total. And the woman was a drag. I mean, she was a drag uh, and I had to go through student teaching classes through her, if I wanted to be a teacher, but things were going on so well at the ranch. It was like, I said, screw this. And I ended up putting up my own degree. And so I went to this, I went through this program called individualized studies and made up my own program at the time. Nobody had ever heard of it, but I took some business classes, some promotional classes, a couple of marketing classes and made a music business thing because I'd been spending all my time out at the ranch and it was like there were flyers to be made and you know you had to do contracts with bands and production and all this stuff right music business so i kind of left the music department at the end of 85 or at the end of 84 and yeah i was i that was that was the thing that was it so 
Boys Will Be Boys tried to move over to Seattle and subsequently fell apart because Ken, Joe and Joe and his wife were on the outs. Ken uh, had his serious girlfriend and he was going to get his life together. So he didn't have time for the band. Jay was pissed off because none of us had time for the band. And I was meeting all, I started working at tower and started immersing myself in the Seattle music scene. So we just kind of died, you know, like bands do you run out of gas because nothing seemed to be happening, but it, it was always fun. And to this day, you know, you can put on Elvis Costello. Romeo was restless. He was ready to kill. Uh, uh. That was one of our killer songs in the clash. We always wanted to play clamp down. And, uh, it was a fun band. It was a fun yeah, you band. You guys were a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a and, lot of uh, fun. We glossed over, and we may get to more of it, but we, we glossed over just how much fun the ranch really was well the ranch is 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 kind of its own story because i mean yeah. you know yeah. between 84 and between 84 and yeah 84 I, I i started working there so working at the ranch every weekend you know i got like during the week outside of like the normal classes and rehearsals i would hang out at the, i would hang out at the little place there's a little cabin behind the ranch called the ranch house and that's where bob lived so i would always be hanging out at the ranch house and talking about music and listening to this and you know hearing tapes from bands and talking about music and talking about songs and talking about dope <laughs> there was there was a lot there was a lot of weed and a lot of cocaine flying through ellensburg <laughs> about that time so I'm trying to remember some of the more national acts that I saw at the ranch. And JJ, like JJ Kale? I never saw JJ Kale. JJ Kale was there like he's there like twice a year. Which is regretfully now uh, uh, I was sad because JJ yeah. Kale was awesome. And then, um what's the other guy who was like completely famous but I didn't know who he was? Uh let's see. He's the guy who actually, oh, I can't remember. Well, Tom... It starts with an E, but what I do remember is that this guy had like this this big hit, right? And he came through town and his backup guitar player singer was a guy named Mickey Thomas. I think it's Mickey Thomas, but anyway... Mickey Thomas went on to sing the hit from that guy's band with Jefferson Starship. That's what I was thinking was the, okay. So he, okay. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember. It's all it's like an old, it's like kind of like a doc or a, um, a Dr. John type guy, but different, you know, he played guitar and, and he was, but he was really swampy. Edwin, I wanted to say Edwin something, but I don't think that's right. I can't remember. It was cracking. Oh. And uh, who else would come out there? The brothers. Uh, uh, Neville brothers? N- no, not the Neville brothers, but uh, right. Um, it was like a Grateful Dead spinoff band. Great. No. Hot Tuna? Hot Tuna have actually played the ranch. Um, <laughs> no, this was like some kind of. Big Brother and the Holding Company. That's who it was. So without Janice, obviously. Right. Big Brother and the Holding Company. Interesting. Okay. Um, Only the San Francisco sound. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's countless others. I mean, we had semi-nationals coming through there because we were halfway between Seattle and Spokane. Is that so, what the was? Because I, I've always wondered about how did this, this barn in the middle of nowhere get... Well, you got to remember, and when we say barn, you have to, the history of the ranch is actually, it was built in like the early to mid thirties and was actually an airplane hangar. So it was about 300 300 to 400 feet long. And it was about 200 feet wide and the sides were straight, but the top was rounded. 
Mm-hmm. And it had, at the time when we were there, it had the largest hand-inlaid parquet dance floor on the West Coast. It was a, it was a place of, I mean, people have been playing music out there, dance hall stuff and all this other stuff for decades since since World War One since the end of World War One and the Depression and everything. And the cool thing about it is that it sat on a street, just across a street, which was the city limit. And so it wasn't susceptible to the city ordinances. It was part of Kittitas County, which used to kind of piss people off because the city had the college. See? And this is why all these acts would come there because it was a college town and everything that went with it. The, the ranch had a capacity, st- a standing room only within fire code. It was 500 people. That was the biggest place off campus that you, sh- you could see a show. You could, you know, that you could play in front of people on really, I've seen as much, I've seen as many as 850 plus in that room. Yeah, there's there were some nights I was in there where you you couldn't move. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't move. It oh. got in the winter time. It would get so hot. There were so many people in there. The heat would rise to the to the ceiling. But it was winter time, so it was cold outside, and it would cause condensation to form on the and then it would drip down. And I mean, it had it had six fans, but that didn't matter. <laughs> that didn't matter. So how long did you work at the ranch? I worked at the ranch kind of kind of fall. I started like fall of 83, all of 84, and 85 until I left. Okay. Until I left. And not long after I left, Bob sold it. And I do believe it was the... No. Because I didn't come over until 86. Yep. That's about right. Bob Bob left it in 85 and I stopped working there. And it was New Year's Eve 85 going into 86 when the ranch burned down. Because the new owners really, you know, tried to help them, but they were idiots. They didn't understand the dynamic of the town. They didn't they didn't want to listen to anybody. And so I mean, boys will be boys. We tried to play out there a couple of times, but it just wasn't the same. You know, the, the vibe wasn't there. And the bands that wanted to, that used to come out there, either they were breaking up or were having their own problems in their homeland. So, that, you know, you're trying to get the second tier bands and they weren't very good or they weren't as good. Let's put it that way. They were still good. Bark in the dark. Um, I remember they came over. Anyway, so yeah, the the new the new owners of the ranch weren't doing so well. So it was kind of interesting that New Year's Eve, going into '86. Yep, we had Boys Will Be Boys was playing at the Holiday Inn, and we had everybody. And 15 minutes before midnight, same somebody came up to me on stage, and they said, "I just drove by the ranch. There's like three cars there." And this was New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Hung over that next morning, banging on my door, banging on my door, phone ringing, ringing. It had caught on fire overnight. Turns out that they had plugged three three pinball machines and one space heater into one electric cord going into one outlet. Okay. Not realizing that this was a building that was built in the 30s, had sawdust insulation. It went up like a match. Yeah. And that was the end of that. So in the years that you worked there, in the years that you went there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and say, what was a memorable show that you saw there? Wow. What's really strange is I don't remember any semi-nationals or national shows. Mm -hmm. To me, the show that will always stick out as the most amazing show I had ever seen, there were two of them. Okay. Um, One was the Heats. 
one of the last Heat's gigs. And that was the picture I showed I showed you last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time that Don Short, Steve Pearson, Wayne Clack, and Rick Burgoyne, one of the one of the it was like it, they were on the outs and we didn't know it at the time. But that was one of those nights when there was nobody. There was no there was no room to get anywhere. And the picture is from I think right when they started. And right when they start, even when they started, there were still probably 150, 200 people in there. And they played three sets. And by the end of the first set, there were no more parking spaces. By the end of the second set, there were no more sitting places. By the middle of the fourth set, we had run out of pitchers and had to go, we had to go scour everywhere just to keep, you know, beer flowing and stuff because there were too many people and it was raining inside. (laughs) It was amazing. That band... It was amazing. Could always sell beer. Always sell beer. They, but I'm sure we'll talk about this. But yeah, we'll talk about one, it. One of my memories of that band is no matter where they played, mm-hmm. the beer was being sold. I mean, it was fascinating to it watch. Amazing. <laughs> I just, I don't quite, I, you know, it wasn't their persona at all, but they, I mean, if I were a bar owner, yeah, I, I just I know I'm going to make a killing that night. Forget the door; I don't care about the door. I just want the beer sales. I mean, which is really just, weird because you know the thing that's really different about about live music back then is that I mean it wasn't tremendously expensive, but then again, nobody was making tremendous amounts of money except bar owners. <laughs> because back in the day, you know, you had to have if you, you know, every, almost everybody had beer and wine and you had to, you had to have a special permit to have booze and mm-hmm. almost no one had booze who had music. So you were going to taverns and, and clubs mm-hmm. that only had beer and wine. If you wanted to see, you know, like Waldo's in, in Kirkland. Remember when Waldo's didn't have, they had, they, they had a class H, they couldn't get their class H license. Yes, I remember. And mm-hmm. I try not to think of Waldo's. Ever. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Like, you know, the that, we'll, we'll come to that. Or, we'll uh, come to that. We'll come to that when we when we get to the evolution of the diminishing thing of the heats. But um, the heats was one one, and the second thing that I remember because I'm reminded of it so often was the Yanks. Mm, okay. I did, I did not know about the Yanks. Right, Bob mm-hmm. was talking them up and talking them up and talking them up. Boy. Uh, went to their sound check and I was I was a fan. Their drummer, okay. their drummer hit like a sledgehammer. Uh, bass player was pretty solid, and the and the lead guitar player would just stand up. He'd stand over by his Marshall. Just he, he was playing a Fender Twin, and it sounded like eight guitars. It was amazing. And then the Owen, the singer, um, it was an, he was indescribable. For at that time, but I was just grooving on the drummer and the bass player because I played bass, right? Mm-hmm. And needless to say, you know, I got to be good friends with the bass player, whose name is Steve Alamond. <laughs> the big, uh, you know, after sound check, it's like you know, we 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 were doing our sound check. They did theirs first, and we set up and did ours, and got done and. Element was making jokes to the rest of the band about having me come up and play one of their songs that I'd never heard of before called Saddle Up. And it's like, I felt really stupid because <clears throat> like four months after they had left, I, I actually sat down to figure that song out. And it's like kind of simple for a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking simple. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, playing, playing with the Yanks was dope. And I became a fan of theirs and Bob became a fan of theirs. And we got both of their EPs and I bought one twice and he lost one. So I gave him one. And then he kept saying that he didn't have, I had his, I had his records. It was just weird. It's the only guy I've ever thought of or having local, mu- you know, independent music, but that's why I have the, the heat's burning live. Thanks, Bob. I have, I have that burning live on the wall here. Yeah, framed. Mm-hmm. I have the Yanks framed. Which one? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Main it's the, the white one with the stripes on it. Wait. 
any, and then I have a rough town. Oh yeah. Framed. <laughs> yeah. Only love was left alive. Yeah. No, those were, yeah. Anyway, I'm, not, I'm, I'm in process of, if I weren't talking to you right now, mm-hmm. um, I'm working on a remake of, uh, cause we played yet. We liked them so much. we learned a whole bunch of their songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned reason to try. Okay. And so now I've got to, I'm trying to do reason to try with a hip hop beat. Interesting. I played the, I played the, the, the demo to element and he sent it to Owen and they both love it. Great. Yeah. Except for I, I'm, I'm trying to do it all myself mm-hmm. and I'm having trouble learning the guitar part because I'm not a guitar player. I just know how to play guitar. So okay. I practice, I practice a lot. I spent all day Sunday. I spent most of the day Saturday. No, most of the day Saturday and no, all day Saturday and most of the day Sunday working on most of the morning Sunday, working on that, working on that. And I'm still, I still haven't got it right. Okay. I've had to, I had to give my fingers yesterday. Yeah. I had a break. Yeah. Two and a half hours and my fingers just were hurting. So I left and then came back and watched the football game. But Element is uh, still living in Seattle. He's back living in Seattle because that band was out of San Francisco, which was a whole different vibe. They were just a different kind of band. Really good though when you listen. I mean, the the quality of the music and the and the and the songs is it, it's really strange how much like the Heats they were, but different. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the Heats had a little more depth because the Heats had the Cowboys and the Cowboys in, in they you know the Cowboys in Seattle. Cowboys really really embraced the Clash. And they got really, really inspired by reggae music. So a lot of their a lot of their music had a lot of un- reggae undertones. Whereas before we go there, a little bit, I'm just put, pump the brakes. Before we leave Ellensburg, what other venues did we go to in Ellensburg? Besides, because it wasn't just the ranch. No, I mean. The ranch, the, the, the ranch and the Holiday Inn were the biggest places in town and the hardest places to book because you had to bring people. And for Boys Will Be Boys, it wasn't it wasn't that we couldn't bring people. We just couldn't count on people. Because <laughs> if we had a headlining gig, it's like we'd be lucky to get 50 people out there. But if we were opening for somebody, there'd be 80 people there before we started. And you know, by the time we got done with our two sets... You know, the place was half full. Never could understand that. But if you weren't playing at at the Holiday or the Ranch, um, you could fit into uh, the place across the street from the Shoe, better known as the Mint. Mm -hmm. Um, It's gone by many names, but I always remember it as the Mint. And then down the street in the corner from the Horseshoe, uh, on the corner... There used to be, it's a third and water. Yeah, third and water. There used to be a Japanese restaurant there called the Pagoda. The Pagoda. Mm-hmm. The Pagoda was great. Boys will be boys. We played there once. Had so many people in there. The owner dragged me downstairs while there was, and this was in an, uh, this was during a break. There were so many people in there. He showed me the big truss, the big center beam truss that was going across the bar floor and uh-huh. people, there were so many people in there dancing. You could see it flexing good. Wow. Two, three, sometimes five inches. So what was the name of the bar that had the circular staircase? Adeline's. I was getting to that. Okay. Now Adeline's, Adeline's was Adeline's was an upstairs bar, but it was small. So you could do like a three piece in there. Right. Keith Wolford's little blues band, you know, the band that I that used to give me nightmares because these are guys who had been playing since probably the early seventies. And, you know, they've been playing all this boogie woogie bluesy stuff. Right. And, but it, it's like they got old in the tooth. And so all, all the older people in the townies went to see their group. Mm-hmm. They were annoyingly horrible. But if you, you know, if nobody else was playing, you could go see them and, you know, 
four or five whiskey shots and it didn't matter. <laughs> Picture and a half. And it's like, who cares what it sounds like? Where are the girls? Give me the, give me the, let's play pool. Um, let's see the Adeline's and you know, Adeline's was the place that boys will be boys. With. And we, 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 we rehearsed in the only music store in town and we got out of rehearsal uh, one night and it was like, there was all this commotion downtown and we didn't know why sirens everywhere. We saw lights walk around the corner and the building directly across the street from Adeline's was on fire. I mean, fully engulfed three-story building on fire. <laughs> Streets blocked off. And I remember we were sitting, I was drinking snake bites at that time, just watching, just watching the street burn. And to this very day, they've never a, put a building in it. And when you drive down Water Street and you get between third and fourth, you'll see this empty space. <laughs> On, yep. the east, on the east side of the street and they got this nice little fence there now but that used to be a building Addie's was great Addie's was great bob and bob and the owner of Addie's were were really really good friends so a lot of times we get done doing whatever we were doing at the ranch and then go up the back stairs to adeline's and drink there until like six in the morning six in the morning would come and then we'd go to the highway grill and have bloody mary's and breakfast and then go home and go to bed right. <laughs> it was punishing <laughs> ellensburg was a uh, an acquiring well, you know so the thing about ellensburg for me when i think about all the hijinks and craziness that went on is mm-hmm. nobody got hurt no, no it was no. like we were, it was like we were in this bubble and yeah and we were somehow somebody should have gotten hurt well, the thing of it is, is that we never, we weren't crazy. We were, well, let's say, no, we weren't overly crazy. There were some overly crazy people and they got arrested. But I mean, it's not like, I mean, it, it's it's so different from today, number one, because it's a small town. So, you know, you really didn't have to drive, you know, no. Ellensburg was so small. You could be down at the freeway where the McDonald's and stuff is, and you could walk all the way to the other side of campus in less than two hours walking. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember traversing the whole damn, you know, coming from upper campus all the way down to the holiday Inn on my bicycle. Yeah. I when I worked there, I, when I worked there, I used to ride a bike or walk to the holiday Inn. Yes. Well, yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hey, it was, you did what you did, but I mean, it was a simpler time and a lot more was allowed and, and a lot more was allowed because there wasn't a lot of serious hijinks going on. You know, these days people get, people take too, they take unnecessary chances and really don't, they, they tend not to be accountable for their actions. Right. Back then, you know, the consideration was you didn't want to go too far because, you know, this person that and you didn't want to you didn't want to mess up somebody's yard or you didn't want to break any furniture. You didn't want to run into somebody's car. These days, everybody's so centric. It's like, I don't give a shit as long as I get what I want. I could care less about you. Right. So one thing that we, we overlooked will tie some of this together in my mind. Hmm. So you're in the music program. And Central had a pretty good jazz band. <laughs> pretty good. Boy, are pretty you, good. boy, are you spoiled. <laughs> yeah, no. Central had an amazing jazz program. Yeah. When I started there in 79, they were one of the top five jazz programs, college jazz programs in the country. Yeah. No, pretty, Our biggest competition was North Texas State. Okay. Which, you know, when I think of jazz, I think of Texas. Okay. Yeah. But. Right. North Texas. But but there was this thing called Jazz Night. Jazz Night. So and, can I can I can I can I, can no, I, can I, can I go right ahead. So, you know, uh, college college is on it was on a quarter system. We were on a quarter system and not a semester system. So you start at the beginning of the fall quarter and you're learning this music not only to get to Christmas but you're but at the end of the quarter you'd have a jazz performance you'd have jazz night and it was the final performance of the quarter 
So every quarter we were, you know, there was one, two, three jazz bands, one, two jazz choirs, all learning music. Right. And all five groups would perform for jazz night. And in the springtime, it was worse. Why? Because they had a festival, high school festival. So it'd be an all day affair. And at the night concert, right, the first jazz band, the first jazz choir would perform and they would have a special guest. And this is the part where you and I were extremely lucky. Some of the names, uh, uh, two of the names that I got to perform with were Joe Williams, Dizzy Gillespie. Yep. Performed at our school. I know. Right? That was crazy. You know? Yeah. That's big names. Big names. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I had a, I was playing percussion in the jazz band when Dizzy was up there and, and got to do night in Tunisia with, which he wrote, it's his signature tune. And I was playing congas and other percussion and stuff. And I'll never forget it. I'm trying to trade fours with Dizzy Gillespie. And so he goes first, then I go, then he goes again. And then I go and he looks at me and he just goes, so I four turned into eight, eight, Turned into 12, turned into 16. And then he, you know, he'd come in and then you'd play for, and then it's like the whole thing would go over again. And here I am, I'm trying to play stuff. And then we went back into the, it was legendary. It was legendary. And, you know, I went to central. One of the main reasons I went to central was because that put a mountain range between my parents and I, because I really wanted to break out and be independent and get away from home, get away from it all. But not too far. But not I too wanted, far. No, I wanted to get away from it all. But luckily, I was smart <laughs> enough not to go too far. Because man, I couldn't. Have, I don't. I don't think I could have cut it at, at Yakima Valley or Columbia Basin or or, God forbid, Eastern. What about WSU? Oh God, no way. Couldn't get me. Yeah, no. <laughs> but anyway. My parents were in the audience and got to see that. It was one of the proudest days of my life. My parents came over to see me play with Dizzy Gillespie. And that was that was one of three times that they ever came over. Okay. While I was there. Because, you know, they just didn't come. But Jazz Night was special. Jazz Night was always special. It was always special. And what was really cool is, you know, the music community there at that time was it was like an extended family, brothers and sisters, cousin type thing. Everybody mm-hmm. hung out together, even though, you know, there was a little bit of a war between the orchestra playing their classical music and the jazz people playing jazz. music. Right. But if you were in the, in the concert band, odds were that you played in a jazz band or combo or jammed, you know, at what was called that night, you know, where they'd have combos at this one bar downtown, the Tav, the Tav, the Tav, which is still there, by the way. And if you're El- if you're ever in Ellensburg, just off the corner of Fourth and Water, is the Tav. You walk in, you get yourself a beverage, and say, "I'd like a super mother, please." Yes, but after jazz night. It was always the jazz night party. party. <laughs> I don't remember ours. <laughs> well, I don't remember ours at all. I don't remember ours. So we hosted a jazz night party at the infamous Fourth and Anderson house. He did it once. once. Without going into too many details, because we don't um, remember for one, we don't remember them, and there were no cell phones recording them. Thank God! Thank God! I don't know. So our house was two bed. So we had two living room spaces. Mm-hmm. We had a bedroom up the front. Well, that was mine. Mm-hmm. And then, and so you walked in the front door, and there was a living room. And then my bedroom was off to the left, and then uh, you kept walking forward into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And if you went straight through the kitchen, you went to the back bedroom, which was Todd's. Mm-hmm. Off to the left in the kitchen was like a covered sunroom that you stepped down into. And then there were, the bathroom was in, off the kitchen as well. Mm-hmm. And then downstairs was the basement. And upstairs was where some of the basketball team lived. Yep. They weren't, we, we don't know who they were. Um, 
they were always there at weird hours and wait, wait. where they were dribbling. Where's where's my room? You were in the basement. That's right. You 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 converted part of the basement into into uh, your lair, sleeping quarters. Yeah. So perfect. <laughs> I don't know how many people were in our house, but it rivaled the ranch's busiest nights. I mean, you could not move. Oh, what when we were when we had parties? No, at the, at the jazz night party. party? Uh, easily eighty people in. And, and we went through 80, 10, probably 80 people in, um, I would say conservatively, I would say it's like maybe 2,200, 2,800 square feet. Oh, it wasn't that big. It wasn't that big. I was including the basement. Oh, including the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe about 2000 square feet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, not exactly huge. <laughs> no, no. In one bathroom. Might might I add for for visual effects one bathroom? Yeah, that wasn't fun. And we went through ten kegs of beer. Yep. Party went on for a long time. Concert got over at eleven. The party ended like ten a.m. the next day, maybe. Yeah, it was. It, was, it went for a while, and it we was, went with it. <laughs> No, it was, it was long. It, it went on without us. <laughs> it went on. Let's just say it just went on. Yeah. yeah. So. That, so I think, I think we can leave Ellensburg now. Can we close the Ellensburg chapter? Um, we have to close the Ellensburg chapter with, uh, with the the the, the spring of eighty six. Okay. And that's where I lived behind Gerald's and you lived down the street. Um I forgot. That's right. I can't remember who you were dating at that time. She was gorgeous though. Anyway, you had you had a girlfriend and it was like I wanted a girlfriend. I didn't have a girlfriend. Well, yes I did. Her name was Karen. And she was blonde and she was beautiful. I don't remember. Karen Streeter? <laughs> No, who I was dating. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, it it got to the point. Something happened. Um, I think by the end of fall quarter, no, by the end of winter quarter, nope. By the end of spring quarter, you couldn't you couldn't stay, and you had to leave. And I had been trying to get work there since March, and I couldn't find a job that was going to make me enough money, and. So it came to the end of July and I had to, I gave my notice and that's when I moved out. Yeah. I'd taken a job over in Seattle. Oh, yeah. What was your first job? Seattle. I worked for a mortgage company and I lasted exactly 89 days. <laughs> Got me beat. Well, but not really. This isn't about me. <laughs> yeah. About well, I was just trying to compare cause you know, that's a respectable job working, you know, for a financial institution. I, I tried to get a you know I I tried to get a job at Safeco and Safeco Insurance. I lasted nine days. Okay. I don't want to say it was a black thing, but it was a black thing because I never got a reason. They couldn't tell me because they gave me a reason, then they were afraid I was going to sue. Them. So anyway, yeah my my company had a ninety day you know probation period oh nasty so on the day before freedom well it's because we had a company party oops and the owner of the company this was this was my first time at the company party and we played touch football oh god and the, the owner of the company didn't lose oh you didn't i did didn't know that he didn't lose. <sighs> so not only did we win, we ran it up. Uh, because back then I could, back then I was somewhat athletic and yeah. And I could throw the ball a long, long way. About, <laughs> about that. There was, there was this little thing called office politics that, I think that you had your first exposure to. 
but nobody told me. See, that's the whole thing. It nobody told me. Nope. And and then I went into work the next week and they didn't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but that's enough about that. Yeah. And you know, I came over and lived in my brother's basement. And within two weeks, had my first job in Seattle, which was working as a clerk at Tower Records in the U District. Mm-hmm. And we could pick it up from there. We will. So uh, thank you for being here again for this episode. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, we're going um, to have to, you know, once now we're going to have to like start actually like branching out to these other places that we've gone to see music. Yes, yes. But I, I really want to talk about, because I mean, you've been interviewed a lot and we've known each other a long, long time. And yeah all these stories that we're telling we've heard before from each other, which is perfectly fun, you know, but I don't know that in your, in your other, you know, what story I was nice enough to leave out. Um, well, I've got some too. So (laughs) is this going to be mutual (laughs) self-destruction? Huey Lewis. Yeah. Huey Lewis. Or, um, I can, I'm the one person in the world. I am the one person in the world that can introduce you as the man who taught me how to cook bacon. It's true. And then I will close this episode. I will take the final word. Uh-oh. Ain't it great? <laughs> the best story For that, folks, that- we'll see you next week. The best story of that house. <laughs>